Take your Bibles, turn to Nehemiah chapter 6. Nehemiah chapter 6. How many of you are too warm this morning? Oh, wow, that's not, I was expecting more. How many of you are just right? All right, y'all go slap the people that are too warm in the face, all right? How many, (laughs) wish he would, tell him, come get me. You've been looking for an excuse for months to brawl. Listen, you don't need an excuse. I'll give you a stage right here online. I tell you what, man, we'll work it out. We will work it out. If you're joining us for the first time online, this is real. This is what it is. This is not pre-recorded, as you can tell, and I love you just the same. All right. Uh, if, if you're joining us for the first time online, man, thank you. I know you won't be here long, but I appreciate you visiting us. <laughs> no, just kidding. If you're a regular, like and share this post. Don't forget, you can invite your friends uh, to have church with us just by simply liking and sharing this post. And if you're in here, I'll go ahead and allow it. Pull out your phones. Come on. Like and share this post. Get it out there. Invite your friends to come to church with you this morning. I have. How many have enjoyed this series in Nehemiah? Anybody? Yeah, man, my goodness, it's been, it's been doing a work uh, definitely in my heart and in my life, and uh, I know that this week will be no exception. Nehemiah chapter 6, this is going to be probably the most practical message that I've ever shared or that I've ever given, uh, and, and there are a lot of things that, uh, and, and listen, we know we don't have nurseries or things, we do have kids class if, if you want to take advantage of that, uh, but listen, let the kids make noise and have a time. It's all good. We even have toys, that, unless it gets too bad. You know what I mean? Does anybody know where that line is? I don't either, but if you feel uncomfortable, you should probably go to the first room in there where the screen is on, and you can let them play in there. But anyway, um, this is probably going to be the most practical message I've ever delivered, and I've learned so many incredible leadership, biblical principles from Nehemiah. It has been awesome, uh, and, and this chapter... If you'll just open your heart this morning, you'll get, a, you'll get two tools. In fact, that's what it is. It's two of them, two tools that will help you. And I promise you, they, they will they'll work, and we'll see them right here in the text. Uh, but you have to be willing to receive it this morning. And uh, we've prayed a few times, but what's, what's one more time? Let's, what's one more time? Let's bow our heads and go to the Lord in prayer, and let's ask him to just open our hearts and receive the word this morning. Father, we love you. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your grace. And Father, we're asking your Holy Spirit to reveal in us areas that we need to change, Father. Blind spots, show us. Reveal them to us. Father, I pray that the text would come alive this morning and that the tools that Nehemiah used that are extremely relevant would be used today. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm really digging this 9 a.m. service. I'm telling you. We have the older, a lot of the older folks come, don't they, Miss Cindy? And he's doing all right. It's okay. God bless him. <laughs> but the, the older folks come, and I get to give it to them raw and unedited. So the things I say there, I get it out of my system so I don't say something stupid online. Uh, so I know where those trouble places are going to come already. And I may just go, on, go ahead and decide to say it online anyway. Uh, but at least I know where it's going to come. Um, But I think that, honestly, I want you to open your heart this morning. Go with me to Nehemiah chapter 6 and and open your Bibles or your phones, whatever you use. And if not, it'll be on the screen. Let's read the first four verses, Nehemiah chapter 6, verse 1. Now, it came to pass when Samballot and Tobiah and Geshem, so we got a third enemy. Now, what have we renamed them? What's the first one? Sandy. And what's the second one? Toby. Y'all know I'm a fan of the office, right? So the arch enemy of Michael Scott is Toby. 
And so that, that fits so well into this story. Sandy and Toby, all right? So Samballat and Tobiah get a buddy named Geshem, right? The Arabian and the rest of our enemies heard that I had builded the wall and that there was no breach left therein, though at the time I had not set up the door upon the gates. That Samballat and Geshem sent unto me, saying, Come, let us together in some one of the villages in the plain of Ono. But they thought to do me what? Mischief. Some translations just fall a little bit short. They thought to do me mischief. In other words, they thought to wreck me. They thought to kick me. They thought to hurt me, throw down, right? There's a hundred other words I could think that would fit better up there. Um, can you turn my monitors down up here, Amanda? I think that's what's, uh, that's what's getting me. Is it too loud for you out there? Is that too loud? I'm hearing some folks saying it's a little too loud. A little bit. And I know that I'm like the worst with a mic that's in my hand. That's perfect for me. That's perfect. Thank you. Yeah, that's great. So Sandy, Geshem, they're saying, hey, why don't you come out of town a little bit? Uh, we we want to have some mischief here, okay? <laughs> they want to hurt him. Verse 3, and I sent messengers unto them saying, I'm doing a great work so that I cannot come down. Why should the work cease whilst I leave thee and come down to you? Yet they sent unto me four times after this sort. And I answered them after the same manner. And we're going to find that they do it a fifth time. They send it a fifth time. And, and then that's an open letter. And we'll, we'll you know, discuss that because uh, it's a, a whole different, kind of a, a whole different bowl of wax there. So remember last week, chapter five, we dealt with what? Anybody remember? Anybody remember chapter five? What's that? Within the church. We dealt with injustice, big injustice, things that the rich nobles and rulers, the rich noble and ruler Jews, were doing to uh, the lower class, if you will, those that were also working in, in the, within the confines of the city, rebuilding the walls, and we find that there was a famine. There was a time where there was a shortage, and what they were doing is mortgaging their properties, mortgaging their fields in order to they, so they could pay, uh, so they could feed their families, and then we find out that they were selling their children into slavery, into servitude, so that they could feed their families, because it was either death from the famine or selling them into slavery. So, uh, kind of creepy, if you think about it, right? For them to be taking advantage in their own, from their own people. And, and Nehemiah really brings it to the surface. He says, listen, this is why we're in this trouble to begin with. The heathen were taking, the heathen were stealing. They were uh, taking advantage and enslaving our people, and now it's happening from within. So Nehemiah is catching it from every side. He's catching it from Sandy and Toby from the beginning, enemies that are coming up against him. Remember, they were sore about not being able to help with the wall. We find that they were uh, some sort of uh, a half-breed Samaritan, right? And they, they wanted pure Jews to build the wall, so they weren't allowed. They were excluded. That made them upset. And so they go, and, and they get their, their, their fellas together, and, and their posse, if you will, and they're going to come, and they're going to uh, present more challenges for Nehemiah. But before they ever came, before chapter six happened, chapter five happened, and Nehemiah was, was dealing with incredible injustices within, uh, people that, that were related to one another, and we talked about that, even within the church, issues that we deal with within the church, injustices that we deal with within the church, and mind you, it ended well. 
uh, he was able to lead past those areas, and he used some incredible tactics, and we know that the Lord has been with him. Uh, he, he's a prayer warrior. He fasts. Uh, he, he is engaged in a consistent relationship with the Lord from the beginning. Uh, so dealing with those issues from the inside, now comes chapter 6 where we find the enemies are back. But I, I have a word about that. Enemies are present, right? Sandy, Toby, and now Geshem. When you work through your stuff, you know what I mean when I say stuff? Your, your stuff. We all have stuff. Do you agree? Anybody have any stuff this morning? Okay, I can tell. We're worshiping this morning, and y'all were just like, what is, what is that posture? That posture means I came in going like this. I came in holding on to my stuff, and the Lord through worship has caused me in this moment to what? And that's what I love about worship. But you know what? Regardless, we're going to walk out the door, and it would be a little weird and a little hard to go to the grocery store and shop like this. Hey, buddy over there, Rosie, come here. Can you grab that corn? I'm worshiping right now. Help me put it in my car for me. It doesn't work that way. It was funnier in my head. Okay. But you get the point. We all hold on to certain things. We all hold on to our stuff. And when we make the decision... The cognitive effort to work through. Chapter 5, the injustice, Nehemiah calling it out. We're going to work through our stuff, people, because we have a job to do. Watch, when you work through your stuff, the enemy wants you more, curiously enough. Maybe there's been something, an injustice in your own life that you've decided to start working through. Guess what? They're going to come again, and he's going to come harder because he sees you working on your stuff. The second thing, when you work through your challenges the enemy will try and find the damages. You know, the stuff that we go through leaves holes. You know, we haven't, anybody received their glorified body yet? Has anybody found the Coke machine where you put the spiritual quarter in and the Lord gives it to us early? I'm looking for it, you know what I'm saying. You go here, you read this verse, you turn around five times and quote it in the mirror and you get your glorified body, I don't know, whatever. No, there is no special potion. We have to go through our sanctification process. we got to work through our Christian lives and go through our stuff. And you know what that means? There's challenges. And you know what that means? There's damages. And so I, I want to clarify that as I'm reading chapter 6, I'm seeing his enemies work on the damages. And you have, to be, you have to understand and be aware that the devil is a roaring what? Lion. He's a skilled predator. We are, we are literally trying to, to work and move in a world that is infected with skilled predators. And they're looking for those chinks in our armor, those blind spots that we've ignored, those besetting sins. And that's where he's coming. And, and the enemies are back, and they're going to work on those damaged areas. Nehemiah is clearly a target. These are just, I'm just laying a little groundwork. In this passage, we see that Nehemiah is clearly a target. Leadership is always the target, even if it is three moves away in the chess match. Look at verse number two. If you got your Bibles, go to verse number two. Then Samballot and Geshem sent unto me, come let us together in some of one of the villages in the plain of Ono, but they thought to do me mischief. He was the target. You know, in, in this scenario of them building the wall, in this scenario of them making it happen, so to speak, Nehemiah found himself the target. And here's what I want to say to you. 
the, the Lord will always work through his systems in the church that he established. The gates of hell will not prevail against the church. The Lord appoints, he calls men to positions of leadership. But that doesn't mean it's an issue of importance. It doesn't mean that the pastor's position is more important than the people serving the coffee, than the people running the sound. In fact, if you don't do your job, ain't nobody online uh, hearing what's going on in here. It's not an issue of importance. But the devil, he lies. He's the father of all lies. And he tries to get you to diminish your position and your role in the puzzle. Puzzle, listen, we're a body. How's a body going to walk with a broken toe? That hurts. They're going to be walking with a limp. And, And what he does is the enemy comes and suggests to the foot that he's not as important as the brain. But can the body operate in such a way as when he has two good feet? No. Listen. The target is always leadership, but don't you, being someone who may be the foot or the hand, let the devil lie to you because it may be three moves away in the chess match. But if he takes you out, what's next? There's a trickle up effect, if you will. And we have to see that in this story, it's vitally important to watch the enemies use the people that surrounded the leaders. You have to watch out for your pastor. You have to watch out, uh, wives, for your husbands as he is leading in your home. We, we have to protect leadership in general. We, we are a country that struggles in this area of leadership. Why? Because all of the pawns are worried about the king. Instead of protecting the king, instead of doing what God has called you to do, you're worried about everybody else. Understand that the enemy is attacking leadership. So, so stand your ground. He may be three moves away from being taken out. So when it gets to you, be in your place. Don't allow criticism to pass through you. This is all free. Anyway, you get the point. The works against Nehemiah. I feel like we need to like really check this out. This is unreal what this this man is about to walk through. I kind of paraphrase them, if you will, but I want to go to the Bible and read them. And then I'm going to give you like in 2020 what the lingo would be. Look at the attacks against him. Leadership is the target. In verse 6, we see how they attacked him. Three dudes, right? Sandy, Toby, and Geshem. So we find here that the first attack, they say, why don't you come out to the plain of Ono? A little background. That's 26 miles out from the city of Jerusalem. So what says, uh, we just want to meet with you. Let me translate. His enemies, what that means is Come out of town 26 miles and meet us in a dark alley. That's the equivalent of those first four verses. Hey, yo, Nehemiah, come over here. Let's have a talk. They wanted to do him mischief. That's like going to, like, the heat of the riots and having a talk. It doesn't make sense, right? There's no discussion to be had there. Nehemiah had discernment. So, uh, man, I just gave it away, doggone. Uh, Come out of town 26 miles and meet us in a dark alley, right? Did it work, yes or no? No, it didn't. All right, so check this out. Letter from Samballot. Then, then sent Samballot, his servant, unto me, in like manner the what? Fifth time, with an open letter in his hand, wherein was written, it is reported among the heathen, and Gashem saith it, that thou and the Jews think to what? Rebel. For this cause thou buildest the wall that thou mayest be their king according to these words, and that thou hast also appointed prophets to preach of thee at Jerusalem, saying, there's a king in Judah, 
And now shall it be reported to the king according to these words. Come now, therefore, and let us take counsel together. So the first thing, hey, the, fir- <laughs> the first challenge that these three dudes, uh, these three enemies come at Nehemiah with is they just, they just go for it. Hey, bro, you want to come out of town a little bit? I've got this really good coffee, locally grown. Want to drink it with us? And he's like, no. <laughs> All right, that didn't work. Doggone it. Man, I could just see Toby over there. Man, you know Toby's got that kind of response. And then they're like, all right, I got this. I got a good plan. And this is where Geshem comes into play. Scholarship says that Geshem is the king of, like, Arabia. So it appears that this guy is wealthy and that he carries weight in the region. So they, they send a, you know, really a request to meet with Nehemiah for the people to hear. And when he denies it four times, it's then an, a what? An open letter. Which means, listen, if one king was sending to another king a message, typical, like, you know, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? You know, status quo, custom, would be to what? Seal it. So if he didn't seal it and it was open, what were they trying to do? This is like WikiLeaks. You know what I'm saying? This is like, my main man, he's doing a job. He's just got them to commit. Remember, he had the priests come down, make these people promise that they won't take advantage. They're moving in the right direction. Remember, they're going to build this thing in 52 days. He's finally got his laborers fed. They're all moving in the right direction. And now there's an open letter. What is this? A Facebook post. (laughs) To instill fear. Did you hear Geshem? He's loaded. And he's been trying to get a meeting with Nehemiah. And guess what? Nehemiah's not going. Maybe, maybe he could provide resources. Maybe he could provide help. Maybe he could send some laborers. Nehemiah was like, what? Nope. Uh-uh. But what does that do? It's an open letter. It's, it's more information for the people to be distracted. More information for them to consume. Boy, doesn't that sound like 2020? Shoot, everything's an open letter nowadays, and you don't know what to believe. Everything's polarized, depending on your political perspective. Did you hear? Did you hear? And everything's an open letter. We're going to learn some principles today to deal with that. But the point is, is step two, the second attack, let me lie about you and tell everyone in your community that you're really a fake and up to no good. What did they say in the open letter? Basically, Nehemiah got a bunch of money from the, the king of Persia, and, and he came here saying he was going to go back, but he's not. Really what he's doing is as soon as the wall's built, guess what? He's got a prophet in there, basically propaganda, preaching that Nehemiah is going to be the new king of, new king of England, <laughs> the new king of, of Jerusalem. That's what he's saying. Was Nehemiah uh, positioning himself to become the new king? Yes or no? No. We learned last week that he wasn't even taking a salary. We learned last week that he was already opening up his home, opening up his table, giving of his goods to facilitate this happening because of a calling, right? So, so, so think about this. They lie on him. Has anybody ever lied on you? That was, man, that was a pretty big response. Yup. All right, this message is for you. Number one. We find that they just went for it. They, they tried to entrap him. Number two, then they spread a false lie about him. It wasn't true. Number three, here's the third thing. Uh, let, me, let me read you the text. Go there to verse number 10. Go to verse 10 in your text. Afterward, I came into the house of Shemaliah, the son of 
Deliah, you know, I'm not real good at reading them names. The son of, yep, the son of Beetlejuice there, who was shut up and he said, let us meet together in the house of God, within the temple, there's significance. And let us shut the doors of the temple, for they will come to slay thee. Yea, in the night will they come to slay thee. And I, and I said, should such a man as I flee? And who is there? That being as I am would go into the temple to save his life. What does he say? I will not go what? In. And lo, I have perceived that God had not sent him. Check this out. Here's the third thing that they did. Number one, yo, come on out of town. Let's meet. Let's hook up. We're going to have some lunch. Nope. All right, let's spread an open letter. Let's publicly shame him on Facebook and tell everybody that he's got ulterior motives. Nope. Number three, let's send a false prophet. The first two didn't get him. This one's going to get him. We're going to trick him. Most people believe that Nehemiah was a eunuch based on his position as cupbearer. Being put in a position of cupbearer, uh, he had certain things removed, right, uh, putting him in a neutralized position. In that position, according to Levitical law, he was not allowed in the temple. There were provisions made for, for such as those to receive uh, forgiveness, but he himself was not allowed, point number one, as a eunuch to be in the house of God. The second thing is he was not of the line of the priesthood. So two strikes against Nehemiah, he knew that he was not allowed to be in the temple. And these three guys sent a false, I'm from the Lord. I wonder how many of us make it through thing one and thing two. We make it through the, the, uh, the meetup where we just know that's not going to go well. We make it through people lying on us. But then number three, we don't know our Bibles well enough to overcome the false prophet in our lives. We don't know the scriptures. We don't know the thus saith the Lord's that would automatically negate these certain attacks and we fall prey. But guess what? Nehemiah was like, um, first of all, if you know anything about me, I can't be in that house of the Lord. Number two, I'm not a priest. Number three, what that means is the logical conclusion, the Lord did not send you. Wouldn't that be something if we just knew? If we had the tools to identify the enemy right off the get and we were like, yep, I'm good. That was their third attack. There's another one. What, couldn't, like, couldn't it have just stopped there? That's, this guy's going through it, isn't he? Come on now. One after another after another. And there's another one. This one may be worse than all of it. Go towards the end of the chapter. Let's say verse number, uh, num, num, num. verse 15. So the wall was finished. And so we know how this works out, right? He perseveres. Verse 16, and it came to pass that when all our enemies heard thereof, and all these heathen that were about us saw these things, that they were much cast down in their own eyes. They perceived that this work was wrought of our God. Moreover those days, the nobles of Judah sent many letters unto Tobiah, and the letters of Tobiah came unto them. For there were many in Judah sworn unto him, because he was the son-in-law of Shechaniah, the son of Ariah. Here's the fourth thing. First thing, come out 26 miles and meet us in a dark alley. Nope. Second thing, let me lie about you and tell everyone in your community that you're really faking up to no good. Nope. Number three, let me try and get you to break the laws of God and fail miserably at being a Christian. Nope, didn't work. Number four, let me marry into your family so that I can turn your loved ones against you. Tobiah was like, I'm on the outside. I got a plan. I got this figured out. Here's what we're going to do. 
We're going to send our sons and daughters of the heathen into Judah, and they're going to intermarry. And then, in one generation, we're going to have a foothold and be able to turn the tide. That is some deceitful stuff. Shoot. Anybody ever used a son-in-law or daughter-in-law against you? And then you're like, shoot, how'd you even get up in my family? I did not raise them right enough, did I? Listen, if he can't get you from without, he's coming for you from within. And from the ones that you love the most, your children. All right, now we've got the whole gamut spanned, right? My man, he avoids the rendezvous and he lives. He avoids the fake, fake news and lives, keeps going. He avoids the, the false prophet and he doesn't get tied up into things that are extra biblical that could steer him away. And then he's dealing with people literally going after his kids. Man, I think I'd have done thrown in the towel, to be honest with you. I'd have been like, shoot, baby mama, you got this? See ya. I'm going on, I'm going on vacation or something. This is like one after another after another. But here's what I find. And we're doing good. Here's what I find. Nehemiah has two tools, two, two tools in this text that he is going to use to guide him through every one of these problems. And these two tools save him so much heartache and trouble. And and watch, in the same chapter, they accomplish the wall being built. All right. And for $100, I'll let you know those tools on your way out today. Every head bowed, every eye closed. God bless you. No, I'm kidding. Man, that joke fell flat too. I'm trying really hard today. You guys are like, two. Are you ready for them? How many, if, if you knew that these two things would help you, how many think they would use it? One, two, three, a few. Okay, that was most of everybody. Just took time. All right, we'll see. We'll see. Look at verse 9. I'm like having this cliffhanger moment. You wonder what they are, don't you? Look at verse 9. For they all made us afraid, saying their hands shall be weakened from the work, that it be not done. Now therefore, oh what? Strengthen what? All right, now listen to me. I'm about to tell you these two tools that are revolutionary, life-changing. They're incredible lessons of leadership from Nehemiah. But the tool in and of itself is not enough. You have to understand that he used these tools when his hands were strengthened by the Lord. Someone who's not a trim carpenter, if I gave you my pneumatic nailer and my compressor, and I said, hey, <laughs> I got a better story. As soon as I saw Kurt, I got a better story. I was going to give an illustration, and now I have a story. Okay? <laughs> this is good. So, and Cody's not even here to defend himself. This is great. So we just did, and I'm sorry about the water fountain, by the way. I went to get a drink before the service, and I ripped it off the wall on accident. So Christy, if you're watching, we need a plumber tomorrow. God bless. Uh, anyway, yeah, it's, don't touch the water fountain. It's not, it's not in a good way right now. Sandy and Toby got to it. So here's the thing. <laughs> we just renovated our two bathrooms up here. And I have some experience in trim carpentry, but I want, like, others to be involved in this project. And so I let Kurt and Cody, they came and they helped me one night. And how long did it take you guys to trim out the ladies' bathroom? <laughs> Two hours. And I mean, like, just shoe mold, white shoe mold. 
<laughs> it was pretty good. So what was hilarious was watching them argue because Cody was cutting and Kurt was nailing. And so he would go cut it, and then he would blame it on his measurement, and he would blame it on his cut. And it was just little two hours of round robin and them yelling. And I was like, look, man, I really appreciate it. I'll let you guys take a break real quick, and I'll go do the men's bathroom. Fifteen minutes later, <laughs> how was it, guys? <laughs> they were just arguing, fighting it out. But the point is this. The tool is only as good as the what? Operator. And to have a piece of trim to put on the wall, it's actually like a pneumatic nailer, right? An air nailer with a finish gun, finish nails. You can, you can actually do more damage. As you're searching for the stud to keep the board on the wall, Anthony knows what I'm talking about. They just keep putting holes in the wall, right? Searching for that stud to hang it. And what was a time-saving, wonderful tool was their demise, right? It's only good if you have the knowledge to use it. And without that, verse number nine, Lord, strengthen our hands. Lord, I, I want the help with these two tools. I want you to use them in my life. Then you become a Pharisee. Then, then you become someone who, who's using principles without power. Do you understand? And so, so I, don't want, I don't want to give you these principles for some sort of pragmatic approach where you can now solve all of your problems with these two tools. These two tools are nothing without prayer and fasting. They're nothing without submitting yourself to the Lord. So there's the prerequisite to what I'm about to say. All right, here's tool number one. Super practical. Number one, discernment. Discernment. What are the two tools that allow Nehemiah to navigate these problems? The first tool is this, discernment. The tool to foil the enemy's plans is discernment. Say it with me, discernment. A little louder, discernment. What's the first tool that Nehemiah uses to foil the enemy's plans? He uses discernment. Let me give you a few texts from the New Covenant, the New Testament that will weight us in our context as well as Nehemiah's. Paul put it this way, but the natural man receiveth not, in 1 Corinthians 2.14, the things of the Spirit of God. For they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. Spiritually discerned. It requires the Holy Spirit. You can't do this on your own. The idea of being able to understand and perceive comes from the power within the Holy Spirit of God, not from your ability to have common sense. Some of our, some of our older folks, some of our boomers, you know, you need to take this to heart. Man, these young folks, they just don't know how to do nothing. But you have to also have a follow-up statement to what you can do. What your experiences are will only go so far. That's what that verse is saying. The natural mind, what your experiences are in life are only going to take you so far. True discernment, true biblical discernment requires the Spirit of God. The next thing, Luke 12, 56, ye hypocrites, ye can discern the face of the sky and of the earth. And how is it that ye do not discern this time? They had the Lord Jesus Christ standing in front of them. And they were worried about keeping their religious rituals instead of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords standing right in front of them. If we're not careful, not only will our common sense fall, fall short, but our religi how do you say that religiosity? 
the things that we do for the Lord, the things that we find ourselves entrapped by that bring us comfort without discernment will lead you astray. Many will say, Lord, Lord, I've prophesied in your name. I've done many wondrous works. And he'll say, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. It's true for salvation, and it's also true for sanctification. I see people caught up in the fact that, let's talk about suffering. They go through something that is, that is tough, and they don't know how to fellowship with the Lord through it because they don't have discernment. And maybe the very thing that God has brought you to go through that valley of the shadow of death is something that he's going to use to build you, to lead you through to his plan, to his purpose. But without discernment, you won't know those times. Here's another one, the last one here before we talk about Nehemiah. Philippians 1.19. For I know, for I, Paul said, can discern that this shall turn to my salvation through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Discernment without applied prayer and Holy Spirit power is no good. No good. But this tool was exercised by Nehemiah. Listen, this is the boring stuff, right? This is just the boring application. But we need it. We absolutely need it. All right, let's look at the story. Look at verse 2. Nehemiah uses discernment in three areas. Verse 2, then Sambala and Geshem sent unto me, saying, Come, let us meet. Let us meet together in one of the villages. But they sought, Nehemiah said this, to do me what? Mischief. Here's three areas that we need discernment in. Number one, when it's harmful. Nehemiah had discernment when it was harmful. You know, we live in this day and age that it's like, and I'm not trying to belittle. Uh, maybe I am trying to belittle. I don't know. Uh, but, you know, this idea like I'm just removing all negativity from my life. <sighs> Seriously, just get it away. You know, we're just very posh in all approaches. I just don't, I just get it out, out of my life. All negativity, push it out. And here's the thing, it's like, I understand that when things are harmful, when people are toxic, it's not a good idea to be around them. But there's a balance. There's a place when something is not necessarily harming you, and you are doing the work of the Lord, but you're not strong enough. You're deficient in other areas, and we're going to talk about that. And so, therefore, you cannot handle those things. But what, what we find is that Nehemiah could identify the things that were going to harm him. And so, obviously, we're making a connection between spiritually harming you, folks that you shouldn't be around. There, there are relationships that you have that literally are luring you outside 26 miles, and they're condemning you spiritually. But you maintain those relationships. You know that over and over it's going to lead to the harm of you and you won't be around in a year and you will wander far from God. And, and if we had the discernment to just see what is harmful, we wouldn't go there. Nehemiah knew he had the discernment to see what was harmful. Number two, verse number six. Verse number six, wherein was written, it is reported among the heathen, and Geshem saith it, that thou and the Jews think to rebel. Was Nehemiah going to rebel? No, he was not. The second thing, we need to have discernment when it's intimidating. These, these words that I'm using are words that describe the enemy's tactics. We talked about it. The devil makes plans against us. He rises up to lure us astray. 
and we need to identify and have discernment when things are harmful to us. And number two, we need to have discernment when things are intimidating us. You know, the Lord doesn't intimidate. You know that? Jesus was a friend of what? Sinners and publicans. Look at the disciples and their testimonies. Right? That's hilarious. Look, look at the disciples from all different types of backgrounds and walks of life, right? He wasn't there to intimidate them. Who did he intimidate? The Pharisees. Who did he, intim- who did he flip tables on? Those that were taking advantage of those that could not defend themselves. So we need to identify things that are in, in our life that are intimidating us. I, I've been through churches and been through places in my spiritual life and in my growth and personal walk with the Lord where I was forced by intimidation to make spiritual decisions. And you know what? It didn't last. It doesn't work. The Lord is not trying to intimidate you. Husbands, if you're trying to intimidate in your relationship with your wife, good luck. She's going to kill you in your sleep. <laughs> It's not going to last. Well, all right. (laughs) Anyway, I'm just going to leave that one right there. Intimidation. Let that help you. Let that guide you. Discernment is for things that are harmful. Discernment is for things that are intimidating. And here's the third thing. Discernment for Nehemiah was for things that were dishonest. They had an open letter, right, circulating. Not just that. An intimidation factor, the king of, of Arabia. But the third thing is the idea of dishonesty. So the false prophet said, come, let us meet in the what? Temple. We need discernment for harmful things. We need discernment for uh, intimidating things. But we need discernment for dishonest things. Nehemiah had the scripture in mind that the Holy Spirit recalled. Nehemiah knew that it was dishonest to do what the false prophet was leading him to do. So here's the thing. If you don't have discernment to see what's harmful, if you don't have discernment to see what's intimidating, then chances are you probably don't have discernment to see what's dishonest. But this one here is plaguing us. Most Christians don't know their Bibles. I I got discernment. Shoot. That devil ain't going to get me. I got this on lockdown. I mean, my marriage is solid. I'm rearing these amazing children. They're just going to be disciples for the Lord. I'm telling you something that's true. Watch me. Look at where I'm going to be in a year. Okay. Hey, buddy, why don't we go in the innermost part of the temple? I'm there. What time? That's against the law, scripturally. If you were Nehemiah and you didn't know the scriptures, guess what? Your discernment wasn't working. What in your life are you falling prey to just because of a simple scripture that you don't know? You are trying to do it on your own. You you are trying to to make this thing happen, so to speak, and God is not calling you uh, to make it happen. God is not calling you to flex your spiritual muscles. God has given us everything we need in the word of God to discern and to guide and to help us make those decisions. But without it, we're left vulnerable. The enemy, maybe he didn't harm you. Maybe he didn't intimidate you. But guess what? He'll deceive you. Man, some of us, we think we're so tough because we can bear these emotional burdens. But yet we break scriptures daily. And we don't obey. 
Is that clear as mud on a rainy day or what? That's tough, ain't it? Discernment is threefold. You need to discern those things that are harmful. You need to discern those things that are intimidating. And you need to discern those things that are dishonest. Here's what pairs with discernment. The second tool, you ready? Discipline. If I didn't lose you on the first one, I'm going to lose you here. I mean, I'm, I, I shut it down. Katie, bar the door. Pastor Matt, you're, you're going long. But this is a word from the Lord, and this is what we need. Why? Because I can see it in Nehemiah's example. All right, here we go. Discipline. Discernment is the tool to foil the enemy's plan. Discernment is the ally when you see the enemy's van. You know what I'm saying. When, when, they, when, when discernment is something that we totally bypassed it because we understood the Lord let us pass. I mean, good night. Can we all testify to those moments in our life when we dodged that bullet? You know what I'm saying. That relationship that was going south, that marriage that was going sour, you heard a message, you read a verse, the Holy Spirit led you to that place where he gave you victory. You know that you overcome because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. But where discernment will propel, discipline will kill you. Discernment to foil the enemy's plan. Discipline is the ally you need when you see the enemy's van. When he pulls up and he gets out, and you know, like, whoa, check it out. Chapter 6, verse number 3. And I sent messengers unto them saying, I'm doing a great work so that I cannot what? Come down. They came to get him. He had discernment, he knew. But it was him continuing in the Lord's work that protected him. It's twofold. Some of y'all got discernment all day long. Man, I got this gift. I, I can see when, when the enemy's coming. But you're no good because you're not doing nothing for the Lord. Man, this is a great work going on. I'll be praying for y'all. We all know those. Discipline. Listen to 2 Timothy 1.7. For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. That sound mind, the Greek word carries the implication for and of discipline. And of determination. And of I don't have the spirit of fear because I have what God wants me to do. My spiritual disciplines on lockdown. Nehemiah knew that his work that he was accomplishing was something God was strengthening his hands to do, and he had discipline to continue in. If discernment doesn't lead to discipline, then you will fall prey to the enemy. God, give us a sound mind. Give us discipline. Here's the two areas that I see him exercise discipline. Number one, in your work for God, personal and corporate. What do I mean by that? Listen, we have the context of this entire book that we've been reading. Nehemiah kicked off this project with three months of prayer and fasting. That's personal. He had the personal disciplines to go along with this discernment, this gift, that, this other gift that God had given him. And then what happens? When he's attacked, he also has discipline corporately. Let's just take a simple illustration. Bling, bling, bling. Hello? Hey, yo. Been missing you at church. Well, you know, I got stuff going on. Man, I totally get it. I love you. I'd love to see you here. Okay, great. I'll be there. Click. Next week. Hey, yo, miss you at church. What do you mean? Well, you know, I got, oh, the same stuff that was going on last week? Yeah. 
I get it. I get it. It's just disciplines. I'm not trying to create hypocritical robots, but if people would just be in their place. You wake up in the morning and, and your Bible's right there. And, and the discipline of just opening the word of God personal and corporate. When Sunday morning comes around, you log in online and you watch the message. Or you come and you're here in person. There are just certain things that we're not going to forsake. There are certain things that we're not going to go without. It's always the new Christian. They come to me. You know, it's like, man, I'm just having bad financial trouble. Man, I just can't, you know, no one in particular at this point. This is a general conversation that happens frequently to all pastors. People talk about financial hardship. And my first thing, if you're a pastor, you know this. What am I going to say to you? When was the last time you what? Gave. That, that's a discipline that we do in our lives that protects us so that we know we are doing, we have discernment that we are doing something that the Lord wants us to do. And he's just leading us through a hard season. It's never those that are faithful, consistent givers that are whining and crying about financial hardship. They know that this is the ups and downs of life. The Lord's going to bring it around. We're going to get through this. Baby mom and I have been there so many times, and it's like, you know what? It is what it is. We're going to get through it. Why? Because we know that our disciplines are something that God has given us to protect us. Therefore, what the enemy suggests to me that God is abandoning me, my disciplines tell me otherwise. But without those disciplines, here's the follow-up. I always tell them, well, you know, when was the last time you gave? Well, I haven't started yet, but I'm going to start now. I'm going to give now. I gave today, and that's great. Give for a year. Exercise discipline, and you'll have the peace that comes with it. This isn't an exchange. This isn't a gambling board that we throw down and hope to hit big. This is something that gives you peace, that gives you protection, that puts you in the will of God. Discipline. We're looking, because we're Americans, to hit it big. We're looking for this dream. You know, when I say I'm living the dream, it means that I have a wonderful marriage, that I love my children, right? It's not this, whatever, the, whatever you're looking for, whatever the devil is lying to you, there is nothing more fulfilling than being in God's will, than having a happy marriage and kids that love you. Nothing. There's not, whatever he's suggesting to you to go for, it's not worth it. Discipline. Discipline. We got a whole generation that's want, that wants to hit the lottery, but they don't know how to show up to work on time. Why? Because they see parents that rack up every credit card. Why? Because they see parents that have big eyes and small wallets. Discipline. Character. I got discernment. I can see it. But do you have the discipline to follow through? It's a two-fold plan. Man, I just fell prey to the enemy. I'm sorry. I'm, really, I'm truly sorry. And as a pastor, I'll pray for you. Which one got you? Which one of the four attacks got you? But now let's identify. Was it a discernment issue or was it a discipline issue? It's one of the two. You, you must have discernment, but you must have discipline in the work for God, personally and corporately. Here's the last thing, and this is a given. I've kind of already said it. You must have discipline in your convictions. Verse 11 and verse 12, we've talked about it, the idea that he knew, listen, he knew that that false prophet was pulling him astray. The discernment of the Lord leads to the discipline in your convictions. I want to ask you, I want to push this button a little bit this morning. Where have you gotten loose in your life? Where in your convictions, where in your pers personal walk with the Lord has he revealed things for you to do 
and you just haven't committed to do them yet. What are they? Let me help you with something. You'll want to be disciplined in those areas when the attacks come. So just go ahead and do it. Whatever you're holding off on, whatever discipline, maybe it's walking with the Lord. Maybe it's that reading and prayer time. Maybe it's being kind. That's a really good discipline. Whatever it is, whatever the Holy Spirit's speaking to you about, let me just go ahead and tell you, you're going to want that on lockdown when the enemy comes. We've seen Nehemiah's faithfulness all the way up until this point, haven't we? We've seen it. And if that's something that we desire, then we need the discipline of Nehemiah to go along with it. 2 Timothy 2.21, if a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified, meet for the master's use, prepared unto every good work. Ultimately, we are tools in the hand of God. Ultimately, Lord, strengthen our hands. The tools I'm giving you this morning are so, are so God can use you. It's bad English, but you get my point. We want the Lord to use us. How many want to be a vessel unto honor? How many want God to pour out of them something that is worth a coworker seeing? You know, the coworker will catch the anger. The coworker will catch uh, the criticism long before. What if the coworker catches love? What if the coworker catches care and concern? What if a, a family member that's been estranged finds forgiveness in you? You know, life's too short. For us, I got the tools, I got discernment, and I got discipline. Here we go. No, no, no. You have discernment and discipline. God, here we go. I'm in your hands. I'm a tool to be used by you. Verse 15, they built the wall. 52 days. Incredible. 52 days, they built the wall. If we take yet another page out of the playbook of Nehemiah, we will see that our tools of discipline and discernment are necessary and are becoming a mighty weapon against the enemy in the hand of the Lord.